Welcome those who are online. Thanks for joining us. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight as we kind of start the uh, downward descent of the book of Ephesians. We've, if you're joining us for the first time this whole summer, we've been walking through the letter to the Ephesian church, um, and we've kind of split it up into three sections. And the first several weeks was the sit section, where we just, the first three chapters of Ephesians is just Paul telling us who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, and now we get to chapter four, and now we walk it out, right? It's that idea of, like, when you, when you learn something new, you got to figure out who are you, why are you doing what you're doing, and now Paul's into how do we walk out this faith that we have in Christ, this new identity individually, this new identity collectively, and so we're in week four of walk, and this is our last week of walking, and next week we're going to finish this series Uh, with Ephesians chapter six, where he talks about standing against the schemes of the enemy. And so that's, we're gonna end next week. If if you are here for the first time, I apologize. We've only got one more uh, session left this summer, and then we will start back up the first Tuesday uh, in um, September. So that's where we've been. Uh, We're gonna continue this week. We're just gonna continue. We did not finish chapter five. It was too much for one talk. I went long as it was, so just thank you, lucky stars. I didn't try and preach the whole fifth chapter last week. So we're gonna do the end of five and a little bit of six uh, this evening. So if you got your Bibles with me, uh, in Ephesians chapter five, he starts out in verses one and two, what we talked about last week. is kind of an umbrella verse for this whole section. And it's these two verses. He gives us um, a charge as Christians, as followers of Christ. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, right? We walk it out. Because you are his dear children. That's our identity in Christ. Live a life, walk out your identity filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so that's kind of, that, that was kind of the, the umbrella passage that we looked at last week. And it's still our umbrella for our passages today. All right, the, the, what we're going to look at is imitate God in everything that you do as children of God, live a life filled with love, the kind of love that Christ modeled. And so I'm just going to tell you off the top, we're going to talk about some things tonight. We're gonna, I'm, I'm titling this talk the S word, all right, the S word. It's a word that none of us like. It's a word that our culture says is worthless. Don't even bring it up. It is the word submit. And we're going to get into Paul's letter of what this looks like in the life of a follower of Christ. Now, the crazy thing or the strange thing to me is when it comes to issues of faith, the S word is like, ooh. But in other areas of our life, we have no problem with it whatsoever. We submit all the time to different authorities or rules. We do it all the time. You did it today multiple times, right? There's an authority, there's a rule, there's a law, there's a whatever, and so we submit to it. Just even cultural norms we submit to that aren't even official, right? We, 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 so we do this. So I don't, I don't want this to come out of left field like, oh man, Paul's being, no, this is, this is the Christian view of the S word, submit. So let's begin in verse 15, right? He just got done talking to us about how we are to walk, uh, walk our faith out in uh, several areas, including um, not engaging in the darkness of sexual immorality and sexual sin, All right? But he says, but when you do, right? We talked last week, expose it, confess it, move on. Live in the grace of God, not in the shame of sin, okay? And so he says, in 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil or are full of evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. My first point this, or this, tonight is that we walk out our faith by submitting to the Lord's wisdom. We walk out our faith by submitting to the Lord's wisdom. I love how he starts this. He says, be very careful then how you live. And what, what I, when I'm reading this and I'm studying this, I'm like, what? I wonder why he says be careful, right? He, just, he was just pretty blunt and he was in our business last week and in the first half of chapter five and now he brings out the 
but be very careful. Like to me, this is that idea of just, whoa, you need to slow down for a minute. Let's not blow through this, right? When you were growing up, anytime your parents told you to slow down, it was usually because we were in danger. And when you're going faster, you have less time to react to danger. And so mom and dad are like, hey, be, be careful here. And so it's a moment to pause, and it's a moment to think, and it's a moment to prepare. And so Paul is telling us, be very careful then how you live. Because if anything has shown me in my life, that as human beings, we don't slow down when things get stressful or anxious or desperate. We speed up. Like we're like, oh, now, now, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? I gotta make this happen. We gotta do some different things. I gotta call so-and-so. We gotta go here, we gotta go there. We start to freak out instead of slowing down and being careful. And so I think in this particular section of Paul where he's giving us some do's and he's giving us some don'ts, I think he knows, hey, hold on. Before you just blaze through this to get past it, let's sit with this and slow down for a moment. Because in Proverbs 18.2, Solomon, King Solomon talks about the fool. He says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. And to understand would be to be wise, and to understand, we gotta be careful. Very careful, as Paul says. And then he says, make the most of every opportunity for Jesus, understand the Lord's will. And so part of knowing the wisdom of God is knowing his will. And when I say we need to submit to the Lord's will, I think about it from this perspective or maybe this phraseology of like, what's God's desire for me in this? What does God have an opinion on this? If I were to ask him face to face and have coffee and say, hey, what do you think about this? What would he say? Because I know I'm really good at just knowing what I think and airing my opinions but we need to determine what God's view on things are. Like we, there's a video that I watched earlier where they were, they were interviewing people on the street, um, just asking people, the biggest questions in life, where do you find the answers? And there was pretty much two answers to every, like three minutes of video, you know, where they just cut, like the man on the street interviews. There were two answers, mom and dad and Google, right? That's where we go. We either talk to our parents if you have a good relationship with them and you trust them, they have your best in mind, right? Or we go to the one that is not, we're not emotionally invested with and we go to Google, we type in the question, we say what, how, when, where, whatever. And I think sometimes we get this idea that, that the internet somehow can answer questions for us that only God is designed to answer. And so instead of, God, we go to Google. And now what I'm not saying is that the Bible is Google. Like you can't find recipes in the Bible. You can't, you can't find that. All right, you can't find the top 10 list in the Bible, but what you can find is God's will and God's heart. And asking this que- the questions of what is the Lord's wisdom in this area of my life might just be the best question to ask. When I was your age, I, like in the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, this brand new thing came out and it was these wristbands that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? Have you, who's had one? Anybody? Who's had one, all right? We've, we've probably all at least seen them. Well, that's a great question, but at, this, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm like, I'm, but I'm not Jesus. So I, don't, like I know what he would do and I know what he could do, but I'm not Jesus. And so I wonder if we tweak this a little bit and I saw somebody not too long ago, they actually made these bracelets and it was WWJHMD. What would Jesus have me do? Knowing that I'm not the son of God, knowing that I'm not perfect, knowing that I am not Jesus, but as a representative of Jesus, what would Jesus have me do? And remember, it's not what would Jesus have them do because we love to figure out like, oh, that's what they should do with their time. And that's what they should do with their gifts. And that's what they should do with their money. And that's what they should do with their time. But it comes back to this idea that Paul's talking about is that we walk out our faith by submitting to the Lord's wisdom. And so maybe the filter that we start asking is not, is it right or wrong? Should I or shouldn't I? Maybe the better question might be, what is the wise thing to do? Does God have an opinion on this? 
or how does my faith inform blank? Like that would be a great filter when it comes to submitting to the Lord's wisdom. Instead of right or wrong, what's the wise thing to do? What's God's opinion? How does my faith inform this? My money, my dating life, my time, my career, my friend group, whatever it may be. What's God's will and his wisdom? All right, then we continue on in verse 18. And this is a famous verse that even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second point tonight is that we walk out our faith by submitting to the Holy Spirit. Again, remember he said, be very careful then how you live. And he starts to get into maybe their social life a little bit. And he says, do not be drunk on wine. Now, can we be real clear here what he is not saying and has not said, but is this verse is a lot of times forgotten is that it doesn't say wine is a sin. It doesn't say that. In fact, when we look at the story of Jesus and the life of Christ, you know what Jesus' first miracle is? Providing the wine for the, the wedding. And so I think it's pretty safe to say that in and of itself, wine is not the problem. It's an overindulgence of wine. It's being drunk and influenced by it. Where you lose control, where you lose self-awareness. And so we see him say, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, when I was your age in my 20s, I, I think God just knew my personality, my tendencies. I have a very addictive personality. And so I'm very grateful that he just, I hate the taste of any alcohol. I just can't, I don't like it. God's grace. And so for me, this verse never meant anything. I was like, well, that's not me. All right, so let's, let's for a moment pull out wine and insert blank. Do not be drunk on lust. Do not be drunk on jealousy. Do not be drunk on relationship status. Do not be drunk on bitterness. Don't be drunk on you fill in the blank. Because what we end up doing is we scroll through social media and we get drunk on jealousy and bitterness and anger. Well, that's not happening for me. And then all of a sudden we feel the anxiety and, we, and then like, you know what I'm talking, like we do this. We drink in a lot of things. And so maybe for you specifically, it's not being drunk on wine, but being drunk on jealousy or fear or relationships or heck, maybe something as innocuous as Netflix. Because really what is being drunk? It is being influenced by. That's why we call it under the influence. You have ingested something that now is influencing your behavior. And so the question then to me comes back to, because a lot of the things that we struggle with probably Paul didn't know about. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have social media. And so what are we allowing into our lives to influence our heart and our mind and our words and our bodies and our attitudes that would not align with this idea of walking out our faith, imitating the loving kindness of God? But then he says, all right, so don't do this, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now we're getting to it. We're like, all right, now I can do something, right? Wrong. That word, be filled with the Spirit, is a passive verb. It is not an action verb. So being filled with the Spirit is not something we can manufacture by doing. Like, hey, I, I need to go to church more, get more Spirit. No, if you are a believer in Christ... The Bible is very clear. At the moment you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you, 100%. So we can't manufacture it. But to be filled in a passive way, think about this. It really begins with emptying of ourselves. Being filled with the Spirit begins with the emptying of ourselves. Because we wake up every day focused on me, wanting things for me, going here for me, trying to get applause and accolades for me. And what we see Jesus do, and we'll look at this scripture in a minute, in Philippians 2, it says, hey, Jesus obeyed 
even till death. And it's this idea of as we obey Jesus, the Holy Spirit has freedom to work. It's when we're walking in the opposite direction of the Spirit that we don't feel filled up. And so it begins with emptying ourselves. To be filled with the Spirit implies freedom from the Holy Spirit is to occupy every part of our lives, influencing and controlling us. That we would be influenced by the Holy Spirit instead of wine or control or jealousy or lust or whatever. What controls you? What's the greatest influence in your life? Or maybe this question, this is the one that hits a little too close to home for me is, what is the greatest influence on my mood? What controls me? What is it that makes me angry? What is it that makes me anxious? What is it that makes me jealous? That's what we're drinking of. And that's what we're probably being drunk on. Being intentionally yielded to the Holy Spirit requires an intentional slowing down an intentional slowing down because the reality of it is is you don't you don't yield to the holy spirit on the fly you know what i'm saying like it's got to be an intentional thing before not in the moment we don't yield to the holy spirit in the moment of anxiety in the moment of fear in the moment of lust we just go fly right through there's no stop sign here and so it has to be an intentional thing beforehand I'm gonna be submitted to you, Holy Spirit. And we see this in the Psalms all the time. Lead me, guide me, show me. And those are the prayers we pray. If you've been in church, you've probably heard the, 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 the phrase, pray without ceasing. To me, this is what this means. Is those little one or two word prayers, God, help me. God, I'm going into this meeting and I'm scared, help me. God, I don't know what to do next, lead me. Show me what you'd have me do. What would you have me do? Lead me, guide me, show me, Spirit. I wanna be submitted to you, not my fears, not my desires, not my anxieties, not my insecurities. And so we set our minds on the things above, we continually pray, and then we walk in obedience. And when we're walking in obedience, we are then filled with the Holy Spirit. We are yielded, right? We're yielded to the Holy Spirit when we're walking in obedience. And so maybe instead of being submitted to the Holy Spirit, maybe it's an idea that we walk out our faith by, by submitting and being yielded to the Spirit. Is we slow down and we let the Spirit go first and we follow. What would Jesus have me do? Kind of life. All right, we're gonna continue. And before I get into this next section, I wanna give a couple uh, pieces of context. The, the section we're about to read in scripture, again, if you've grown up in church, um, you've probably heard this section of scripture. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. These are, the, these are the sections of scripture that I do not like. I don't like to study them. I don't like to preach on them because they can be very um, triggering for people. Because this particular text, specifically for women, has been used to oppress and abuse and to get away with mistreating women in the church. In the church, not in the world, in the church. And this particular section also has been used in abusive ways to give parents a, a, a carte blanche to do whatever they want with their children and discipline. And this particular scripture was also used to justify slavery in our very own country. And so these, these texts, like by the time we get done with this, I'm, I hope you're like, man, that was good. That was good for my soul. It's good to hear. But I think for some of us, we need to maybe reframe how we see this part of, of, of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if you're offended, man, let's talk about it afterwards. Please don't leave mad at me. I wanna talk to you about it. But if we're honest, this is a tough section of scripture, and with our, especially with our 21st century eyes and our 21st century memory and our 21st century ears. The S word in this text, we're like, ugh. And rightly so, because it has been misused and abused for a long, long time. And so we have to look at it not through our 21st century eyes or ears, 
but we need to look at it from a Roman empire ear and eye. And so we're gonna do that. How would this have been heard from the original hearers of, of the text? Because when we're talking about husbands and wives and children and fathers and slaves and masters, like it's a little bit like, hmm, this is startling. This is, this is not what I w- would expect the apostle Paul and God's word to say. Because even this idea of slavery back in, in this time was not what we think of slavery. It was a very different thing. It was, it was probably closer to a, an employee situation where someone gave themselves to someone to pay off a debt. And then when they paid off that debt, they were let go. And so this text that was used in atrocious ways by Christians, by the church, in the history of our very own country, it was used and abused for people's power and privilege. And hopefully tonight as we get through this, we're gonna reframe our view of God's word and we'll find a love for it again. So let's read. Oh, before I get there, I do wanna say this. In Roman culture, in the Roman Empire, men, it was a male-dominated society. I mean, nothing, I mean, you, you can't even imagine. Aristotle, right? We, we look up to him as a philosopher. He described women as deformed men because they were not fully developed and so they were less than. This is the culture of the Ephesian church. Women were less than in every sense. Children were less than. Servants were less than. And men had all the control and all of the power. And marriage back then was not like marriage we have today. Like when we talk about marriage, we're talking about, does he love you? Do you love him? Is he the one? Right? That is not marriage back then. Marriage back in these days was completely utilitarian meaning it was usually for the benefit of two families coming together financially and saying, all right, let's keep our family name going. You don't like her? Sorry. You don't like him? Too bad. The dads agree. Let's go. And so again, the woman back in these days in marriage was at a great disadvantage. I mean, disadvantage is a, is a poor way of saying it. And so that's the eyes that we look at. There was a male-dominated society where women were viewed as property, and is only useful for bearing children. And so let's read with that context and with those eyes and with these ears. Verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit, you should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, verse 33. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse four of chapter six. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse five, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and, your, and yours is in heaven. And so my third point tonight is that we walk out our faith by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We walk out our faith by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, when we get to, we, let's be 
very careful then how you live this out. Because like I said, this, this passage has been used to oppress and abuse women for decades and centuries. See, it says you need to submit. But again, if we're looking at this through the eyes and the ears of the audience of the day, I think we're gonna see it a little bit different. Now, as we get into this, I wanna be right up the front. There are two very different views of this passage that I can, you can come up with uh, great theologians, great pastors, people that I respect disagree on this passage. There are people in one camp that think this is a predictive text, that this is God's plan for marriage for all time. And then you have other people who say, no, this is a, this is a contextual uh, passage that Paul is writing to a specific church in a specific time that has specific issues. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. And I know people on both sides of this argument that I respect, and so there is tension here. There's tension. I grew up in a family that my parents were this. Like my dad was the head of the household. He made all the major decisions. My mom, like it was a very uh, conservative, typical house, and they had a great marriage. And I know families that are like, you know what? We, we have a more like a, a, a co-submitting and we lead our family together and they have a great marriage. So I'm not here to tell you tonight that one is bad and one's good and one's good and one's bad. But what I wanna do is have an honest look at the tension of the text and say, what does Paul say and what is he saying and who is he saying it to? Because like I said, this has been a text that has been misused for many, many years. What I wanna do is do two things. I wanna look at this again, we're gonna walk back through it and ask ourselves, how would the audience of the day have heard this? How would the women have heard this? How would the men have heard this? And then secondly, I wanna pull out what is the principle that is timeless? What is, it, 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 let's just say, let's say it is just descriptive of a certain time period. Well, then, then what is the, the biblical principle that we can pull out of it, All right? So let's go back to verse 21. Paul starts with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what he does is he walks us through very specific household relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and children, servants and masters, and then masters to their servants. So he says, hey, we're gonna do this, and now I'm gonna walk this out, okay? And what, to me, it echoes several scriptures that I wanna put up on the screen just so that we know that Paul is not going off on a tangent here all on his own, he's not going rogue, all right? This is Ephesians 5, one through two, I already read it, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Paul's already said what he's about to say, just in a different way. And in his letter to the Philippians in chapter two, verse three through eight, he writes to the, the church in Philippi, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look, at, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, power, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privilege, submitted. He, Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He appeared in human form and he humbled, submitted himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And then Jesus, out of his own mouth, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, says, love one another as I have loved you. By doing this, by loving one another, people will know you're my disciples. And so the way we do relationship will be a mark on our lives of who we are submitted to. Think about that. Let's slow down. Think about that. Who you are submitted to will be a mark on your life to those watching. And so the questions we asked earlier, what are you influenced by? What are you submitted to? Whose wisdom? 
will display. Jesus says, if you're gonna love like I'm gonna love, people will know you're my disciples. But here's the principle, that either way, the consistent theme and instruction for relationship is to be submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. So many texts, even in your Bible, I'll bet you in your Bible, the section ends after verse 21, and then you see a title, Household Codes, or marriage, Christian marriage, and then it kicks into verse 22, right? That's not there in the original text. That's your publisher. This is one continuous thought, all right? So verse 21 cannot be disconnected from verse 22. So when Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then he says, all right, wives, let's start with you. And now husbands, let's talk to you. And now fathers, let's talk to you. And so verse 21 is where he gets into this. You see, Paul's not trying to overturn a system of life, but instructing how to walk out our faith in Christ within the system of life we find ourselves in. Paul's not making a statement like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna throw all of Roman stuff out of the door. He's like, this is the life you live. This is the culture you live in. This is the context you live in. So in that context, this is how we live it out. We submit to one another, not because we're deserving, not because of value, because of our reverence for Christ. Because Christ has submitted to his father, and so we follow his example. So let's read this, and I'm, I'm gonna read it, and I'm gonna stop and, and give my commentary Again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little, little uh, on my own thought process here, but um, how would they have heard this? How would the women of the Roman Empire have heard these words? Let's go, verse 21. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. The men are gonna be like, wait, what? Hold up, stop. What did Paul just say? Um, we don't do that. This, this is my wife, this is my children, they submit to me. So right off the bat, the men are like, hello. The women are like, what? <laughs> Paul, keep going, what? Right, H honey, come here, you need to listen to this. And then in verse 22, wives. Now, first of all, let's stop there. This would be a shocking moment. Number one, that wives are even included in the address, and two, that they would be addressed before the man. So right off the bat, the men are like, they're, they're super offended. First of all, you're telling me to submit to this woman, and now you're addressing her instead of me? And the women are like, yes, Paul, keep going. And he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And they're not offended by this. You know why? They're like, we already do this. Every day of my life, been forced to. I had no choice. So this is not a change for them. We're offended in 2021, right? By the word submit. They're like, we already do this. This is our life. Tell us something new, Paul. But the men are like, okay, Paul's back on track. Okay. <laughs> we're saying, okay, Paul was about to go crazy. Now we're coming back. And then he adds the game changer. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as, as you do to the Lord. He goes to their heart. It's a motivation of the heart. There's no longer a, there's no longer a submission to your husband because you have to. There's a motivation of the heart change. Submit as unto Christ. Not that your husband is your savior, no. But this moment is like, whoa, something's changed here. I think the woman was like, yeah, we're used to submitting. But unto Christ, hold on, wait, what does that mean? And then he continues. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And so then the wives are done. And if you're asking me, Nothing much has changed for them other than the motivation 
of why your relationship with your husband, which looks like a choice. They can choose. Women in those days did not have choice. And so he gives three verses to the women. And then we get to the men, the husbands in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Hold on, wait. Wait, wait, Paul, you could not have said that. Because that word love is not romantic love, it's not erotic love, it is agape love. And it is the same love that Christ has loved his church. And it is a self-sacrificial love. And the men are now being, I mean, it's hidden real close to home. It says, love your wives. This is the same love that you hear at weddings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the same word. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Agape love is always shown by what it does. And so the men of Ephesus are being given a completely new paradigm for their marriage. Before it was, you are the head, you have the power, and Paul is saying, you are to now lay down that power and you are to love your wife, to cherish her and to care for her and protect her. I would have loved to see the men's faces as they read this out loud. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love agape, their wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Verse 33, however, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I can't express enough in the context of that day how radical this teaching is. And it's not radical in a negative way the way we take it with our 2021 years. This, I mean, think about, think about the women who just heard what Paul just said to their husband. She's no longer property, she's a person. And not only is she a person, but you are going to love her and care for her and protect her and provide for her. You are going to give up your power. You are gonna give up your privilege. You're gonna give up your rights to lift her up. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to father and children and the theme continues with masters and slaves if you go back and look, we don't have time to walk through the whole thing tonight. But the principle is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how we do Christian relationship. This is how we do Christian friendship. This is how we do Christian marriage. It's not an issue of value. It is an issue of worth and value under Christ. this passage would have been so liberating for women. So liberating. It's just it's literally the exact opposite of how we take it today. That's why you don't hear a lot of preaching on this text because it, it is triggering. It, is, it can be offensive to our 2021 years. But this passage for the women is a liberating one. You're a person, a person who is valued and cherished and taken care of and not simply used and to the men, this would have been a huge shift in how they viewed their entire lives and a major shift in how they did relationship with everyone. And it still is, gentlemen, it still is a major shift for us. We like power and we like privilege 
But as a Christian man, we are not called to pursue those things. In our relationships, we are not called to pursue those things. We're called to lay them down and to love as Christ loved his church. And so as men, we're called to lay down our rights, our desires, our needs, our power, and our privilege out of reverence for Christ. Not because you want to, not because it's easy, but out of reverence for Christ. We're to cherish and care for our wives. Teach your children in the Lord. Treat your servants with honor and care. The biggest paradigm shift would have been for the men in this text, not the women. The biggest paradigm shift is for the men because they had the power and they had the privilege and they had the rights. And Paul is saying, lay it down. Lift up your wife. Care for her. Honor her. Bring her with. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, I'm gonna read it again. Because Paul writes these same words a different way. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God, powerful. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, to pursue. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Are you catching the theme of Paul? Are you catching the theme of Jesus? It is humility. The one time where Jesus describes his own heart, it is gentle and humble in heart. Men, this is our call as men, as Christian men, to be gentle and humble, to love as Christ loved us sacrificially. But what's unfortunately what's happened over time is that the opposite of what Paul intended has been communicated. And what I mean by that is it's been flipped on its head I think Paul wrote this to liberate and value women and to reset men to love as Christ. But what's happened over time because of sin and the fallen nature of humanity, especially men, this passage has been hijacked to oppress women and to empower men. That's, in my opinion, what has happened. Because Paul is not saying this is, you need to submit woman. That is not what he's saying. The ears of the women of the day would have been like, yes. I'm what, he is gonna love me? And he's gonna care for me? And I get to be included in the conversation? I think Paul meant this to be liberating for women and to reset men. You see, in our relationships, we are to imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I think when we submit to God's wisdom and we submit to the Holy Spirit and then we submit to one another, I think it is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Because if you've been with us, the book of Ephesians, I mean, the whole middle section is about unity in the body of Christ. In Galatians chapter three, Paul writes, there is no longer Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no longer slave, nor free, nor male or female. All are united in Christ. But the history of the church has hijacked and perverted this text to empower men and oppress women. You see, at the end of the day, Christian relationships, whether you are single, whether you are dating, engaged, or married, are to look completely different than the relationships in our world. Guys, think about this. Think If you were a husband in this world, in, in the Roman Empire, and you started to value your wife, bring her in on decisions, give her a voice in the town square, that you would buy her flowers and you would you'd be kind to her, and you would protect her, you would have stuck out like a sore thumb. 
People are like, those crazy Christians, man. Do they treat us that way now? Those crazy Christians, man, they date different. Those crazy Christians, they do friendship different. Christian relationships are to look wholly different. And I always wanna try and bring this back to a young adult perspective, something that you can grab a hold of. And so this is what I would say to those who are single, which I think most of you are, or maybe dating, but you're still single, you're not married yet. (laughs) Hear me say this. What this text tells me is it matters deeply who you date. I don't care if she's hot, I don't care if he is hot. That is so low on the totem pole of God's best for you. There is a monumental difference between a guy that goes to church and one who is submitted to Christ. And there's a huge difference between a beautiful girl that goes to church and a a gal that is submitted to Christ. Because they're submitted to something. And so as you think about, as you accept dates or ask somebody out, are you thinking through that filter? Are they submitted to something more than just their urges and their desires and their insecurities? Paul is laying out some marriage stuff here. But he starts it with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Is the one you're dating is the one you're thinking about dating. Are they submitted to Jesus? Ladies, because when he's submitted to Jesus, it is way better, way more secure, way more kind, way more forgiving. Guys, same thing. Because I'm guessing most of y'all want to get married. But who do you want to marry? Someone who is simply submitted to their whim or someone who is married to Jesus and submitted to him? Does the person you date have the same attitude of Christ? Paul said they must share the humility of Christ. This is who we are. So whether it is a literal reading of marriage that is predictive of this is how it should be, or whether it is a contextual, momentary, very specific situation. I don't care which theological camp you are in, what you cannot miss is the mutual submission unto Christ. I don't care where you're at. You can have a healthy marriage either way. But we cannot miss that we are to be submitted to Christ and to one another. It's a matter of humbling ourselves It's a matter of not holding on to power and privilege, but laying it down. It's about living submitted and obedient to Christ. And so we walk out our faith by submitting to God's wisdom, by submitting to the Holy Spirit, and to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what the heck do we do with this? Well, had to come up with something, right? I think they're pretty good. My team actually helped me get these together. Where do, the question is this, it's just one question with three parts. Where do you need to submit out of reverence for Christ? Where? Where in your life do you need to submit to Christ? Maybe it is the big decisions of your life and you need God's wisdom versus your roommate's wisdom. You need to go to God for wisdom instead of your parents or Google or whatever. I'm not saying don't talk to your parents. I'm not saying that. Mom and dad who are ever watching, I'm not saying that. But have we asked God, what do you think? What's his heart for you in that? Maybe it's we need to submit that influence that you're like, I know this influences me way more than it should. Right? Maybe, maybe it's that phone, that, that, that screen time thing you get every, every week. You're like, man, I think that's influencing me way more than it should. I'm gonna submit my phone. I'm gonna submit my social media. I'm gonna submit my Netflix. I'm gonna submit whatever. What is it that is influencing you? And then lastly, in the relationships that you are in, whether you are single 
whether you are dating, whether it is with your parents or a roommate or a friend? How do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Here's the deal. You know why we don't wanna submit? Because deep down, we don't believe anyone else is gonna take care of us. That's why we don't. We gotta take care of it ourselves. But what if our friendships and our small groups and our dating relationships and our family relationships, what if we knew that the people that we are surrounding ourselves with are gonna do this? They're actually going to care for you. They're actually gonna try and meet your needs. They're gonna submit their needs to meet your needs. Well, then that frees you up to trust. And that frees you up to take care of other people. So where do you need to submit out of reverence to Christ tonight? Maybe it's just practical wisdom, influences in your life or relationships, or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not a believer. I've never actually submitted my life to Jesus. Well, tonight's the night, let's go. Because there is a God who loves you and he cares for you and absolutely has your best in mind. So we'll leave these on the screen as we go into 120 seconds and we'll just let you sit and pray and let the Lord uh, hopefully grow whatever was planted tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for just your text, the Bible. Thank you for the hard times, the hard things. Thank you for the good things and the, the liberating things. God, thank you that you loved us self-sacrificially, that you sent your son and your son laid down his power and his privilege for our benefit. God, as we look at the relationships in our lives, God, I, would, I pray, Lord, you would help us to do the same that we would lay down our desires, our needs, our wants, our power, our privilege, our rights unto Christ for the benefit of those who you have placed around us. So I pray you'd move in us tonight, convict us, encourage us. In your son's name, amen.